Welcome to Kingdom 101. It's always good to see all of you, and at the same time, always a joy for me to welcome those who are listening in on our SoundCloud channel. Uh, there's this virtual community that's there, and it's encouraging for me not only to see people gathered here, but also to know that others are listening in, and we are thankful for your support and also for your encouragement. Let's pray, and we will get into this evening's teaching. Father, we thank you once more. As your people gather, we know you are here with us. Lord Jesus, your name we want to declare and proclaim over this entire teaching. Holy Spirit, please be with me, be with everyone listening in also, so that you can be that spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus and his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I was preparing for this message and you know the typical research that I have to go through. I found that there are 10 things that Singaporeans will willingly queue for. Now, this is not a new report, but I don't think it's changed very much. Number one is the iPhone. Every time there's a new model of an iPhone, people will queue overnight. The next one is McDonald's, but even better if there's Hello Kitty that's attached to it. Lately, there has been this Hershey's ice cream, right? Free, and I, looking around your faces, I think some of you queued up for that too. <laughs> the third is any collaboration with a shopping or fashion label, H&M, for example, people will also queue up for it. You know what's number four? Korean pop concert tickets. So if you are a K-pop fan, that's what you will be looking out for. Number five is any foreign brand that comes into Singapore. That time was Krispy Kreme, and then lately was A&W and Shake Shack. Number six is Ikea meatballs. Not the furniture, meatballs. Number seven is good hawker food. Even better if it has a Michelin star. Just recently only, right, we're told that Singapore has been voted the ones with the best street food. Number eight, anything free is okay. Free stuff. You just put a free coupon down there, everyone is going to line up, and sometimes they fight over the free stuff. Number nine, primary one, school registration. Okay, these are for the mothers and the fathers who will queue up, and before that, they queue up for the preschool, and they're going to do anything just to get into a good school. And do you know what number 10 is? Tim Ho Wan barbecue pork buns. When it was first launched, oh, there was a major queue down there. Ten things. As you go through this, are you evaluating? Did you line up for this? And some who would have lined up for something may not have lined up for anything else, which is the point I'm trying to make. You may consider something of value to you, but to someone else, it may not hold the same attraction. Right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, they say. And different people will value different things. Different things will be worth a little bit more to someone than another person. But the big question is, what about the kingdom of God? What about the kingdom of God? How should we respond to this question? Well, we've been going through Matthew chapter 13. We've been learning about the kingdom of God. The first teaching in Matthew 13 was entitled KOS, speaking about the kingdom operating system. Jesus answered the question, why do you speak to the people in parables? The parables were simple truths. They were to reveal, and yet for some, they will conceal what we understand as the mysteries of the kingdom. The second one was about the parable of the sower of the soils. The title was, So How? 
And we said that the word of the kingdom is the one that's being sown, but the condition of the hearts would be the questionable one. The third was side by side, and this talks about the parable of the wheat as well as the tares. And we learned that there will be alternate kingdoms growing side by side. You've got to get used to that. You even have to accept that. But at the end, only at the end, will you see the separation. Then in the last teaching, it was hide and seed. And we spoke about the little mustard seed as well as the leaven. And it was about the extent and the effect of the kingdom. So that's what we've been given so far. And I think in a way, Matthew 13 is like a, it's like a preview of the kingdom. Right? We know a little bit more, a little bit here, a little bit there. Jesus is exposing and giving us understanding, some perspectives about the kingdom. But the big question still remains. After knowing all these things, what is it worth to us? Do we consider it of value? You see, all the knowledge of the kingdom means nothing if we do not respond in the correct manner. And this is the focus of the next two parables. The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. Now we must remind ourselves, parables are meant to be simple. There's one main message or a key point that we don't want to miss. And so I'll try my best. You know, as a Bible teacher, we love to complicate things. But for the parables, every time I teach it, I'm telling myself, don't, don't complicate it. It's simple. It's one message. Let's not miss that one main point. So let's read the parables together. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two parables. But you know the two parables, although they may be a little bit different, they are fairly similar. It contains one theme. It's like the previous teaching between the mustard seed and the leaven, two different parables, but one common theme. And these two parables are also similar in that nature. Let me show you the differences, and then you can see also the similarities. Let's look at the character first. In the first parable, it speaks of a man, but the second one is about a merchant. And so when you look at this, it's interesting because the man who works in the field is like a common worker. Perhaps in our days, we call him a blue-collared worker. But a merchant could be like a businessman and he travels around, and so you have a white-collared worker, a blue-collared and a white-collared. Let's look at the place where this is described in. There's a field, so it indicates some kind of a manual work versus a marketplace where he looks for this pearl, which really talks about the business and the commerce sector. Look at the state of the items that were discovered. The treasure was buried and hidden. But the pearl, I believe, as he was looking for it, was openly displayed. He was able to see it and he says, ah, there it is, that's the one that I want. But what's the mode of discovery? The treasure that was hidden, this guy wasn't really even looking for this treasure. He stumbles upon it, right? He chances upon it. Whereas for the pearl of great price, the merchant was actively, diligently sourcing it out. He was seeking after something like that. So again, very different in the two parables. 
Look at the gender association. I've worded it that way. Because in the field and the manual world, it seems to belong to the realm of perhaps the male or the man, you know, working at the hard labor. Whereas the merchant discovering a pearl of great price. You talk about pearls, all the ladies here are like, okay, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> the guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So again, it appeals to both genders, the male as well as the female. Let's look at the valuation of the entire thing. One is described as a treasure. The other one is described that the pearl is of great price. But I want you to note the response, right? In spite of all the little differences and the extremes and showing it could be this or it could be that, really, the response was the same. The man sells everything. He buys that field so that he can get the treasure that's in the field. The merchant sells everything so he can come back and buy this pearl of great price. Regardless the differences in this parable, it ends and it culminates with the same response as well as the same ending. And so if we summarize it a little bit, these two parables talking about the kingdom of God, would you agree with me that we can surmise that the kingdom of God is really for everyone? No one is excluded. Regardless your status or your position in life, blue-collared, white-collared, male, female, uh, whether you're richer or you're poorer, I think there's this entire bracket. No one is excluded. The kingdom of God is for one and all. The second thing we see is that the kingdom can be discovered. It can be found. And the way it is found or discovered can be very different, right? The kingdom is seemingly hidden and yet openly displayed, but is there to be discovered. It may be chanced or stumbled upon and some will be like, whoa, wow, what did I just discover? What did I just see? And for others, they'll be looking for something. They're looking for that something more. Life has got to mean more than this. Church has got to be more than this. And suddenly when they find it, they say, this is it. The kingdom of God is also of great value to everyone. And it's not a matter of a personal preference or your taste or the market forces that determine the value of it. It doesn't matter. You know, no matter what the situation is, the kingdom of God, according to these parables, is that it is of great value to everyone. But even as we look at these points and understand the parable, this is the main point. The response the response to the kingdom of God should also be the same for everyone, right? That the kingdom is of such great value that everyone should be willing to give up everything for the sake of the kingdom. And my amen there is very small. You see, everyone should be willing, but are they? The response should be the same, right? Because this is of great value. Whether you discover it or whether you stumble upon it, whether you're looking for it, when you finally, finally find it, the response should be this. You're willing to forsake everything for the sake of gaining everything of the kingdom. But you and I know that not everyone responds in the same way. And perhaps it is because not everyone is convinced of its value or of its worth. 
Well, understandably, we are still in preview mode. Right? You know, when you go to a preview, you're still thinking about it, right? Huh? You're not really convinced yet. You go to a property preview, like they tell you, oh, this is the best. And you say, you sure not. Uh, you go to a, a launch of another product, maybe a car, the latest car. They tell you the best things about the car. And you say, you sure not. Huh? It's still a preview. So you're not really convinced about it. So let me try and help us along. Perhaps a, a clarification about price, value, and worth will be helpful for us. Right? Because the way we define these three terms will determine the way we, we look at it. And so let's start with the first word. Let's talk about value. Well, the value depends on what this item is and how valuable, I mean, that's what the word is, right? How valuable it is, whether it's actual or whether is it perceived. But if you want to determine the value of anything, of anyone, it resides primarily within this person or within this thing. You have to look inside. What is in this thing or in this person or in this item or in this commodity? What is this offering? What is it in there? So if I look at the pearls, I would say, okay, fine, the pearls are beautiful in itself, right? And is it valuable, right? It will make me beautiful. <laughs> uh, it, it will cause me to be the center of attraction, and admiration, status. And within it, it's precious, it's rare, it's hard to find. And so that's a value. That's a real value of what it is. The value can be the thing itself or the thing that it brings to you. And this is what it promises you. This is the value of that pearl. But as we look at the price, the price is a function of the cost, right? And the price aims to reflect the value as accurately as possible. But you must look at the cost. And so let's examine it a little bit. Pearls are very rare. It will take a diver to, to find it, right? And you, you don't find pearls anytime. You need a boat to go out there, so the cost of the boat since it's going to take time, the cost of time, the skill that is there, so you need to train, so it's many years of experience. Not only that, you have to process these pearls, so it takes a lot again. You have to set it in gold. You have to design the necklace. There's workmanship that's involved. And then when we want to retail it, there's retail costs and marketing costs, and that's the security costs and the insurance costs. And if it's still not enough, then we'll, we, we may even pump up the price to increase the perceived value. And that's how you set the price of something, but it is a function of the cost. The worth is a different thing. The worth indicates what it means to the individual that's considering this item. You see, you can tell me it's very, very valuable, but if I don't consider it as important to me, then I don't see as much the worth as what you're trying to describe for myself. So you can sell me this necklace, you can tell me it's really beautiful, it's cost so much, it's going to look really nice, and if I put it on, I'll be the center of attraction, and people will come and look at me, and uh, I'll be looked up to, and so on. But if it means, if all those things mean nothing to me, all I will do is admire the necklace, but then it's not worth very much to me. I don't care how valuable it might be. It just doesn't mean very much to me. Now, even if you give it to me free, even if you give it to me free, the first thing I'll do is I'll think of how to sell it. Right? Because I'll think of how to sell it, maybe even at a discount. And when I sell it at a discount, at least the money that comes into me, I consider the money of more worth to me because that's important to me. Can you see the three words are very different? 
how you determine value, how you determine price, and how you determine worth. So with that, as we look at the kingdom of God, so we are told the kingdom of God is like treasure and a pearl of great price. But, but so what? You see, if it means little to you, then it's worth little to you. If it means nothing to you, then it's worth nothing to you. We've got to consider these terms now in light of the king and his kingdom. Let's push through a little bit. Because the parable is very straightforward. In fact, I've already finished teaching about the parable. I want us to push through to ask ourselves, how do we respond? Why are we responding perhaps in a certain way and in not another way? So let's consider the price. What's the price of the kingdom of God? Well, if you want to consider price, you have to consider the cost. And is it not true that that we may have the kingdom of God, it costs God and Jesus dearly. The cost to Jesus was great. He is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The lamb had to be sacrificed. The lamb had to die. The lamb had to come to be a substitute and the king himself dies for us to save us. Now without this, you and I have no hope of even understanding the kingdom or coming into the kingdom. There's no way we can have the kingdom. We can't even smell it. We can maybe have an idea of it, but that's about it. The king had to die. The king had to pay a price. The king had to shed his blood and give his life so that when we believe in this work, we begin to understand and receive the kingdom. You see, so this is the first thing. And when we believe the work and the sacrifice of the king in this kingdom, then we are born again. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, unless there's a spiritual birth, you cannot enter the kingdom. And how do you get born again? You believe. You have to believe. But believe in what? Believe in the price that was paid by the king. So if you go back to the cost, you want to determine the price, you have to look at the cost. And so when we believe we are born again, and the kingdom becomes available to us, Not only that, how do we get into that kingdom? When we believe, we are redeemed. We are redeemed from the kingdom, the power of darkness, and we are translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So there's a second concept there. We are redeemed, and redeemed means to buy back. Now what's the cost of buying back? The price is the precious blood of Jesus. Can you see this? It all ties back to the same thing. And we are justified, made right, righteous in Christ so that we can qualify to be in a righteous kingdom. So when we believe we are born again, number one. Number two, we are redeemed by the precious blood. We are forgiven and justified to qualify to be in a righteous kingdom. Number three, we are then gifted. When we have this kingdom, we are gifted with eternal life in Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift. Singaporeans should jump at this one. There should be a long queue right now, right? Anything that's free, we should line up. There's a free gift. Of eternal life. But you and I know, my friends, in this world, nothing is free. Someone has to pay for it. 
even your free offer in your shopping centres or your free Hershey's, McDonald's ice cream cone, someone pays for it. You may get it free, but someone pays for it. And eternal life in the kingdom comes to us free, but there's a cost. Jesus paid for it. You can get on Facebook and enjoy it and say, oh, it's free, but it's not free. You're paying for it with your content, with your identity, with everything that you put up there. You are selling yourself. See, nothing is free. Someone has to pay for it. So what's the price of the kingdom? Where and how do we even begin to determine the price of this kingdom, of salvation into this kingdom? of the gift that we have received. How do you determine this price? The king himself gave his life to save ours. You can't put a figure on it. And that's why the kingdom is priceless. You can't determine it. Meaning to say you can sell all you want, you still can't afford it. You can save up for eternity, it still will not be enough. You want to buy your way in there, it's not good enough. Your money is not enough, your talents is not good enough, your goodness is not good enough, your best behavior is not good enough. We only get the kingdom by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is priceless. It comes free to us, but someone paid that price. The king himself. Now that we have considered the price, we can now consider the value. See, the value is not just monetary or economic, but it is intrinsic in itself. Right? Like I said, when you look into the kingdom of God and the, what the king brings and what he promises you is their value. And if you look at a commodity out in the marketplace and you're shopping or you're trying to buy a service, how do you determine value? Price is only one item. The next thing you're going to look at is you're going to look at the name, right? Oh, whether you buy a Mercedes or a Kia, which one would you pay more for, right? You look for the name. And marketing people understand it. The brand is important. That's why they invest so much into the name. And not only that, but how about the features? Then you can say, oh, then it's great value. It's good value for money. I always struggle whenever I need to buy a computer. I don't know if you have that problem like myself or not. The first thing we look for is like, oh, oh this one, the price now look very good, very cheap. And then my friends will pat me on my back and they say, you've got to look at the specifications. Ah, you've got to look at the ROM and the RAM. You know, is this gig, that gig, this one fast, you want that? Does it come with this card, that card? Uh, what monitor is how many bit? And oh, I say, can you just buy for me? You see, it's not just the price, right? You want to look at the features. And of late, there's been this big hoo-ha in the, in the marketplace about tour packages, air tickets, holiday resorts that they publish one price but they don't tell you what's included until you want to click on pay. Then they add all these things in. So when we look at the kingdom of God, what are the features per se? Now, I can't give you everything. It'll take us too long. But this is revision. I know you know this already. The first thing we must consider is again, the cost, the salvation, the entry into the kingdom, the ticket price in itself. I told you it's priceless. It comes to you free. Do you value that? Do you value that? It's by grace. It's undeserved. Do you know that? Now, the cost is still there. Now, even if you don't acknowledge it, accountants will call this, it's still a cost. It's a sunk cost. I believe, I don't care how long we've been as Christians, we must always have a fresh revelation of the cross. Always. 
You mustn't get tired of it. You mustn't ever take it for granted. I've shared this many, many times, and I shared also to remind myself not so much to bore you. In the year 2003, it was about that time I had heard the Lord say, this is the time I want you to leave the business now and get into the work of the ministry. I was feeling happy that it was finally the time and I was going to go in and I, I happened to attend a conference where the speaker, I can't remember the topic, but later on she showed a trailer of Mel Gibson's passion, passion of the Christ. And that movie was just about to be launched and she showed a 90-second trailer of that movie. And there I sat as I watched it played out on the screen. And it was just little clips of Jesus being arrested, being tortured, being whipped, being nailed. His face was blooded. His, he had scars all over his back. He was carrying the cross. He was hoisted up on the cross. And it was just little snippets. I saw that picture. There I sat. I just cried. I just couldn't take it. I just cried. And the one thing that kept going on in my mind was this. Who am I, Lord, to serve you? you know, remember, I'm, I'm coming out into the ministry now. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be this man of God. I'm going to be the servant of God. You know? I'm going to full-time ministry. You know? Oh, man of great faith. You know? I'm leaving everything. You know? And suddenly, I see this picture and I go, who am I to serve you? You did all these things, not just for me alone, but for all of us. I get to have the privilege to serve you in the ministry. We must always have a fresh revelation of the cross. That has got to get us time and again. And the most recent was just four days ago when I was at this church and they served communion. And it happens to me once in a while that when I hold the elements in my hand, I just break down. I can't take it. I just hold it. And I see the symbols of the body and the blood and I say, Lord, you know, I... I I can't understand this. And the power of the cross, I need this. I can't serve you without all this. We need always to have a fresh revelation of the cross. This will guard against the devaluation of God's amazing grace. See, we're all prone to taking His grace for granted. Once you get into the kingdom, you get the rule and the reign of the king. This is the good news of the kingdom. Do you know how cool this is? He rules over you. He reigns over you. He tells you exactly what to do. He helps you. He points you in the right way. His commandments are for our good. He loves us. He sets the right boundaries so that His commandments are not burdensome. Do you know how great this is? I know some people will look at this and say, you mean like that good, huh? then I cannot do my own thing. You see, you value your own independence more than you value a divine counsel that is available to you. You say, oh, you mean Christianity like that, huh? so difficult, must do and don't like that. Then you don't understand the new covenant. You see, when we get into the kingdom of God, it's no longer the letter of the law. It is the spirit of the law. And so if you're only living by the letter of the law, no wonder you don't like it very much. But once you understand the Holy Spirit giving you that enablement and the empowerment, then you know it's not legalism. 
It's not whether I can do this or I cannot do that. Because in the Spirit, it's, as long as you're led by Him, it's all about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit leads to life, not condemnation. That's super value, you know that? That's really good. If you're still stuck in religion, no wonder you don't value it very much. But if you understand life, then it's great value. You see, freedom doesn't mean that we get to do anything we want to. Biblical freedom is not like that. Biblical freedom is we get to do according to the Spirit within the confines of what the Lord has set for us. He knows what's best. You see, that's the good news. But sadly, many people, Christians included, we value the ways of the world more than the ways of the King. We value the wisdom of the world more than the wisdom of our Lord. And even when we read the Bible, it says in James chapter, chapter 3 that the, the wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, and demonic, and we still prefer it. We'd rather have this than to listen to God tell us. We will love the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We value those things more than we love the things of the kingdom. We also have the name of Jesus, right? And in that name of Jesus, do you know, we are named by Him, we are named after Him. We have power, we have authority, we are called ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Do you value that? We say amen to that, but I, looking around, a lot of people try and run away from it. Because to be ambassadors of the Christ and ambassadors of His kingdom means suddenly now we need to do the things of the kingdom. And we value our own independence, remember? We, we don't want to run the things of the kingdom. But we have His name. We carry His name. We get to move on His purposes. We are His kingdom representatives. You know, in the business world, everyone wants connection, right? I said, you know, in kingdom, you get kingdom connections. And these kingdom connections, only the king can lead you to the right connections. And only he can turn these connections into the right partnerships. Why? Because the kingdom is advancing. That's why it's an honor to be on assignment with Jesus and for his kingdom. You get the spirit of the king. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I call this the help desk. He's the helper, right? The Holy Spirit is our helper. Anything on the Holy Spirit, you ask because the Spirit is there to glorify the Son. The Holy Spirit is there to point us to Jesus, guides us into all truth, brings to remembrance all these things. Holy Spirit is there to comfort you. Holy Spirit gives you power for signs and wonders and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are all at your disposal. But not just only the gifts for the power things, but it also gives you the power to, to change, to be transformed to be like the king. We should get excited with these features. You know? And we're not even done yet. Like, that's only page two of the catalogue. You know? There's so much that is there. Right? But we, we don't get excited about this. But we get excited with the new retina display of the new iPad that you can now draw things on it. We have access and the availability of kingdom resources. All of heaven's resources are yours. The kingdom of God is not just in word, but also in power. You have authority to use every one of these spiritual resources. 
Not only spiritual, but also physical resources are yours. If you would but seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. You shouldn't be chasing after all of these things. You should be seeking after the kingdom. Remember this guy, the merchant was there seeking to find something that was of great value. When he found this pearl, he sold everything and he gets the pearl. When he gets the pearl, he gets everything else. Because it's great value. Provision for the mission. If you are moving on kingdom assignment, and if you are very clear the king has sent you on this mission, provision follows this mission. Do we value this? Or we value the, the salary that we trust in? We value the securities and the bonds and the stocks and shares that the world is placing value in those materially, but we are missing something that is spiritual. We have the certainty and the stability and the absolute rule of the kingdom. Do you know in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, we are told that anything and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And sometimes in our own lives we experience it, right? Because God wants to shake away those things that do not feature. Even in the church, churches will go through things that God will shake because He only wants those things that can remain and when you shake, those that can remain will stay. And we are told we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Pao one, you know. Guarantee, you know. Chop, stem, sign, deliver, you know. This is the certainty of it. The stability, it cannot be destroyed. Kingdoms will come, kingdoms will go. Companies, your blue chip will blue one day, another day not blue anymore. But God's kingdom will never be destroyed. It will never be moved. You see, you want to invest, uh, this one solid investment. Can you see the value or not? Can you call your stockbroker now? Finally, Jesus will rule over all. Revelations chapter 11, verse 15. When the trumpet sounds at that point, the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. And ever, the king that you believe in now, he will still be king for all eternity. You see, this is, this is the value. You, you want to talk about features? You want to talk about specifications? This is it. Right? Today you talk to your people, when you, you want to buy some things. Uh, oh, this vacuum cleaner, very good. The latest technology you want. Oh, this one, uh, this filter, very good. Uh, latest technology you want. Uh, wow, can last, this, is this. Then you ask, how long? Uh, I think about three years, you must change already. Do you know that the kingdom of God is eternal? The eternity of this kingdom, which is of greater value, freehold or leasehold. Obviously, you will say freehold, right? But do you know, when we view in light of God's kingdom, even your freehold today you know, is not worth very much, you know, it's leasehold, because everything returns to the Lord. The only real freehold is the kingdom of God. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's what the scripture says. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. It's an everlasting kingdom. And you're in this kingdom, you too, with eternal life, get to reign and rule with Jesus in this everlasting kingdom. That's how precious this is. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, Therefore, brethren, 
be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Now, this line is an interesting one, right? Peter is saying, you don't play, play. Huh? You better make, sh- make, make sure this is happening, huh? your call and your election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know how important, you know how precious this kingdom is? You know how valuable this is? So make sure you get to that place where the entrance is there, open up and you go in to the everlasting kingdom. They say, wait, hang on, hang on. I thought I saved, I'm going to heaven already. Then you've got to read Matthew again. You've got to listen to Jesus again where he says, there's a straight and a narrow place and few are going to find this gate because they prefer the other one. They find more value in that one, right? But when this narrow path, at the end, you're going to find life and an entrance into the kingdom. See, there's still an entering into the kingdom. And if you're going through a difficult time right now, if you're struggling with something, your eyes shouldn't be on what is temporary. Whatever is that momentary light affliction is is nothing compared to the eternity and the eternal glory that's promised to us. That's how precious it is. See, some people let go of their faith. I don't believe anymore. You know, I, I thought God is good. I thought He's a good, good Father. How come He this and how come He that? It's only temporary. We need to look to the eternal. Do you value all these things? Or do you value the temporal trappings of this world? We spend so much time trying to do what we need to do to make this world comfortable, right? But when you compare it to the eternity of the kingdom, then the perspective totally changes. Well, so far we have looked at the price of the kingdom and you agree with me it's priceless? We've considered the value and wow, I've only got to page three of the catalog. Preview, right? I'm showing you a little preview. But there's just so much more. But does it mean anything to you? What's the worth of the kingdom to you? If the value statements or things that are valuable are not really valuable to you, they don't mean much to you, then it's not very worth it, right? You will not consider it of any worth. So what's the kingdom to you? Do you value all those things that we just spoke about? And if you do, is the kingdom then worth your devotion and your allegiance? This is called discipleship. Right? Is the kingdom worth your denying yourself? I'll follow Jesus. I mean, I'm not important anymore. My own agenda, my own pursuits, my own dreams, my own ideals, not valuable compared to the things of the kingdom. Right? Jesus is the one. His kingdom is the main thing. Is it worth it for you to let go of that self? Are you ready to, to take up the cross? And to take up the cross is not the Light, light stuff, inconvenience here, now and there. You know, to take up the cross meaning to say that mentality is, if I die, I die. I mean, the kingdom is eternal life. God, eternal life is worth so much more. Like Paul says, I, yo, I'm so torn. I wish that my life ends now so I can be with the Lord, but 
But I also pray that my life doesn't end so I can spend more time with you because that will be helpful for you. I want to go, but I cannot go. I want to go, but I don't really want to go. You know, but his motive was very clear. It was always for the kingdom. Whether he stays or whether he goes, it's always for the kingdom. But can we say the same of ourselves? Is it worth your discipleship to the Lord Jesus? Is it worth your following Jesus? Is it worth that your entire life is dedicated to the purposes of the king and his kingdom? And if you say yes, then you can ask the next question. Is it worth the, the shifting and the realigning of your priorities, right? Because there's no point the first question you ask, Amen, you know, auto call, everyone come up. And then when they go back home, huh, no one wants to shift anything. No one wants to realign anything. The kingdom of God is more than just an altar call. Is it worth the shifting? Is it worth the sacrifices that need to be made? Is it worth the investments that you are challenged to put in? Where we put our, whether it's our money or something else, where our mouth is. Is it worth the inconveniences that accompany the Christian walk sometimes? Is it worth the realigning of time, of your schedules, of your effort, your money, your comfort, your agenda, your family, your relationships, everything? Is it worth shifting some of these things? Is it worth changing your perspectives? And can I be bold? Is it worth you getting out of churchiness? To be churchy is not difficult, you know. But that's not the kingdom. Sometimes we'd rather hold on to the churchiness and think we are kingdom than to really let it go that we can live the kingdom. Is it worth it? See, this is the question we have to grapple with. That's what the parable's point is all about. Jesus asks, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? These are those who do the will of the Father. You see, even when you want to line up with relationships, you align with those who do the will of the Father. That's the kingdom. And many times relationships hold us back, they pull us back, because we're not willing to divest for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you please be careful. The cares of this world will choke you. The deceitfulness of riches, oh, that will entangle you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. And so he tells us in Matthew chapter 6 up front, don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. See, what does that mean? Then at the end, he says, seek the kingdom. Then now he tells you the kingdom is like treasure. Are you getting the hint? You see, the mysteries of the kingdom are not that mysterious, not so, not so difficult to understand, is it not? You cannot serve two masters. You either serve God or you serve mammon. And don't worry about all these things. Remember, the, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. Don't worry. Don't worry. You don't have to be anxious because the king will come through for you. Is the kingdom worth it? Peter told the master, you see, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus replied, and this is what he said to Peter, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. Is the kingdom worth it? And I believe this was Jesus' way to tell Peter. Peter was asking, hey, we let go everything? No, real not. What do I get, man? And Jesus told him, don't worry, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be okay. See, if it means nothing to you, it's worth nothing to you. It was reported that on the Titanic, there were 11 millionaires. And when the Titanic hit that iceberg and it sank, one of the millionaires, his name is Major Arthur H. Puchin, he left $300,000, and in those days, that would be a lot of money, right? $300,000 in money, jewelry, and securities in a box in his cabin. And this is what he said later. The money seemed a mockery at that time, he said. I picked up three oranges instead. What was of greater worth? The money or the three oranges? He can bring all the money with him and it will be of no use. But he took the three oranges and whether he was floating out at sea or bobbing on, on some lifeboat or whatever, those three oranges would have kept him alive. This rich guy was wise. We can't say the same for the rich young ruler in the Gospel of Mark, right? Where he came to Jesus and he says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, you keep the commandments. And he says, yeah, I've done that. Been that, done that from young, you know, Sunday school all the way up. <laughs> I've been always doing that. And then finally, Jesus says to him, one thing you lack. Jesus didn't say, don't do all those things. He just says, there's still one thing you lack. You go and sell everything, correct? And then give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Following Jesus was not as valuable as, number one, all his riches, that's one, and number two, his keeping of the commandments, can I paraphrase? To be a goody-goody, a do-churchy-churchy, but don't follow Jesus. Amen? And he went away sad. Is the kingdom worth it? Is the kingdom worth the trials that we go through? When Job was struck with his condition, the wife came to him and said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Just give up. Why don't you? I mean, if you say God is going to help you and he doesn't come through. And Job then says in a different way. Of course, he, he rebukes his wife and he says, come on, you, know, you don't even know what you're saying. And finally, in, in another place in Job chapter 13, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Whatever happens, happens. I'm not letting this go. Why? The kingdom is worth it. Is the kingdom worth the scorn, the ridicule that you may receive? Is the kingdom worth the rejection that you might even face? The persecutions that we may have to endure? The death that we may have to die? Is the kingdom worth living for and dying for? Is it worth risking the loss of friends and family members? Is it worth risking the loss of maybe a job or a promotion because you stand for righteousness? Is it worth the risking even of your own life just to declare Jesus Christ? These are questions we must consider because according to the parable, it's worth everything. 
And I'm looking at it one simple point, nothing else. And I'm measuring myself against that, asking these tough questions, even of my own heart, you know. I may give up up to a certain point at this stage, but does it mean I've given all? And every time I think I've given a lot, I realize there's a lot more I'm holding back. And yet, the Lord Himself, Jesus says, The blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for this is the kingdom of heaven. And then the Apostle Paul says, don't you know this? That we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Let's be thankful that we don't have to go through too many of what our brothers and sisters presently suffer in many other countries. But it does not mean it's not probable. Are we ready for it? Is the kingdom worth it? Let's bring this to a close. And let me remind you again that the main point of the two parables is that the kingdom is of such great value that everyone should be willing to give up everything for the sake of gaining the kingdom of God. We already know that the kingdom is priceless, is of great value. But you see, what is its worth to you? That one I can't determine for you. And you can't determine for me. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like treasure, pearl of great price. But he also said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so at the end of the day, it still comes down to the condition of the heart, the perspective of the heart. And that's why the Lord started in Matthew 13 with a parable of the soul and the soils, which is really the condition of the heart. Because finally, what you consider of worth will be what you focus on. The kingdom is available to everyone, but sadly, not every believer will respond in the same way. Church is okay. Religious duty is okay. But to be inconvenienced for the kingdom of God, must think about it. Must pray hard, hard. But let's put it another way as we bring this really now yeah, to a final, final point. You see, the kingdom is only as good as the king of the kingdom. So this question is not really, is the kingdom worth it? The question has to be phrased in another way. Is Jesus worth it? Who is Jesus to you and how is his worth for you? What is Jesus worth to you? Your full devotion, your full allegiance, and if you say yes, the question then is, do I live as if he is worth it? And that's where we get the word worship, isn't it? Worship comes from the word worth. And that's what worship is all about. Today we've made it into a song and dance. And if I say yes, will others see that in me? And that's why the Apostle Paul says it in so many different ways in different times. He says, I beseech you, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I pray for you, Colossians, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. My brothers and my sisters, 
Matthew chapter 13. Through the parables of the kingdom, Jesus gives different pictures and perspectives of the kingdom of God. A preview, as it were, of what the kingdom is all about. But now that you have heard the preview, those who respond rightly will receive the fullness of everything that Jesus has said, and even more. So my question is, we end. How will you respond? Come, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf, Lord. The work of sacrifice, the cost that cost you your entire life, the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And in that we can say, Lord, that the kingdom that comes with it, with the king, is beyond a stating of a price. It's priceless. And Lord, you've shown us even as you give promise after promise in the Bible, that the value of the kingdom far exceeds what we can even understand or comprehend. But Lord, we struggle because when we see the things of the world, we know that those are attractive and distract us from the true value of the kingdom. But Lord, we can say it's priceless and it's of great value, but Lord, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to me? Father, I pray for all of us, myself here included, those here as well as those listening in, Lord, that you open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints, Lord. I pray that you open our ears, Lord, so that we can hear what the Spirit is really saying to the church in this time and in this season. That we will no longer be satisfied just to go through a Christianity or a churchianity, but truly, Lord, we will say, Lord, you are worth it. You are worth everything, just like that man and that merchant who sold everything for the sake of gaining everything about the kingdom. Lord, will you enable us by your Spirit according to your grace that we can likewise respond in the same manner, and not just for us only, but that we can bring others in also. And so I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Even when we are weak, you are strong. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. And we give you praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our King and for giving us your kingdom. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.